Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to the making and the remaking of a codependent mind. In this episode, we're going to celebrate because we have been doing this podcast for a year. Yes, a whole year. It's amazing. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to the making and the remaking of a codependent mind. So one year, and we're also approaching 100,000 downloads. Yeah. Which is also super exciting. It is pretty exciting to see how this has really gone and in so many different ways. Really had no idea what to expect when we started. We started because I had started to listen to a lot of podcasts, mainly financial podcasts. We've also been on a financial journey these past few years. Yeah. And I kind of got the idea, well, maybe it'd be fun for us to do a podcast together, just something, you know, a project that we could work on together. And so we we thought about maybe doing a financial podcast. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Of course, I I didn't have a whole lot to offer. (laughs) (laughs) But we realized one thing that we both really enjoy talk to, talking about and we both learned a lot about over the the, the years previously was codependency and, yeah. and your journey so we settled on talking about your story because we had talked about your story yeah and it, it, it what, felt as though we'd learned so much mm-hmm. that we had something to say about it because it wasn't just we learned a lot it was it was having an effect Absolutely. And, you know, we would have been happy with, we were happy when it was a couple hundred downloads. Yeah, right. <laughs> then we were happy when it was a couple thousand. So approaching 100,000 downloads is, is really remarkable. And it, and I hope that it means that, and I think that it means that a lot of people share similar experiences with mm-hmm. you and have found it helpful to hear about someone else's journey. Yeah, because I, I mean, I know how it feels to get this kind of validation, a type of validation that's, oh, yes, I'm not really super unique when it comes to a lot of this stuff. They're, I'm not weird. I'm not right. broken. This has happened to a lot of people. Yeah. I'm not alone. Yeah. So it, 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 I, I didn't really realize that that would be, that would feel great for me too. If people, when people gave feedback and said, oh, this is really similar or this is almost my exact story. And I go, well, yeah, man, the more I hear that, the more it's like, yeah, I bet that's true. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your kind of emotional experience. So we're going to yeah. talk about our major learning takeaways to mm-hmm. each of us during this episode, because we both learned so much doing this podcast. But I, before we d- we do that, I did want to ask you how your yeah, what's been your emotional journey of this podcast? Because you've made yourself pretty vulnerable. Yeah, it's true. I know. There, yeah, there's times where I'm like, this is a little embarrassing, you know, mm-hmm. revealing some of this stuff or planning for the episodes, reliving things that, you know, kind of over and over again in this in this sort of educational context or something has just been, it's been, yeah, pulling me in different directions, you know, I'm having to, I'm having to emotionally process this stuff in, in, in from different angles, right? I remember the, the first season, you know, which was the first few months of, of the podcast, mm-hmm. being kind of emotionally hard on you, yeah, a little bit painful, and, and me too, I mean, you as you're saying, kind of reliving these moments mm-hmm. and really sitting with them in a way that maybe you hadn't for a long time. And me having to hear the the, the suffering that, that you went through. Yeah, you yeah. Know, we both, there were moments of tearing up sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, especially listening back to an episode once we finished it, because sometimes, you know, I don't know if that's compartmentalization or what. Like, I'm on I'm on a, a task here. I'm mm-hmm. I'm trying to deliver information and have a... A logical conversation about it 
And sometimes I may sever my emotions from it temporarily just so that I can make a point. And I, some, I think in the process, there were times where I forgot I was talking about myself. Right. <laughs> and then I'd listen back to the episode. Oh, yeah, geez. Oh, God, that really was horrible. <laughs> I think that was kind of healthy, though, to kind of reconnect with your younger self and, yeah. and have that sense of sadness for, for that boy that you were and mm-hmm. even the man that you were in, in those abusive relationships and feel compassion for that person rather than shame. Yes. Yeah. And and I feel like this podcast has given me so many more new tools that I didn't have before because we talked about how we were talking about this stuff every day. Mm-hmm. I was writing every day. And so I was processing a lot of these things. We had learned a lot of the the things that we discussed in the podcast already by the time we started the podcast. But there was only a couple of methods we were going about it, basically writing, discussing. Right. And this was kind of this whole new, how do we distill this down? Because that's so helpful to distill ideas down and try to group them and categorize them and just make it simpler to think about and apply. And the sharing part, which you mentioned earlier how gratifying it was when you started to hear from people and I, right. I remember that and I felt that as well but I imagine it was particularly gratifying f- for you to, yeah. to hear people say oh it's like you're inside my head this is exactly what I've experienced as well and to know that yeah again you're not alone and that the experience means something you can make it mean something by learning from it it felt good in two ways at once kind of I felt good that that it was validating for me to hear that there were other people so it's okay this isn't just some weird thing that I'm laying out there and mm-hmm. people are gonna hear it and go oh, that's interesting but then also that these people that say oh this is similar to my story this is really helping that's also feels amazing to know that this actually is helping some people it seemed to help you get over a lot of fear as well when we started this podcast there was fear in terms of your family there was still fear I think in terms of R and J yep and there was fear of imaginary people hearing this and yeah. judging it and judging you that you were somehow, oh, you were just weak or, you know, judging right. your experiences of trauma is not traumatic enough. Yeah. And you seem to have been able to work through that fear. Yeah. I mean, I could see a lot of that fear in the notes I took for the episodes kind of, you know, it, it's, it, I was definitely conscious of that, but also unconscious of it. Me and my body telling me, especially when it came to, yeah, some of those stories, obviously with the family stuff, I completely had still care, was carrying some old stories there. But then, yeah, the R and the J thinking as though somehow, somehow this is going to come back to me, whether they hear it or something, you know, mm-hmm. just somehow it's, I'm going to get attacked or something. It's just unsafe right. that I'm talking about this somehow. So I, yeah, I had to get over that feeling of that feeling of not feeling safe. So one thing that we've done recently is to start a Patreon account, uh, which is where people can become patrons of this podcast, which we would love for that to happen, although no one has to. This podcast will always be free and freely available. But one of the main reasons we did it is because our conversations have been so valuable. The conversations we've had over email or over messaging with listeners have been so valuable. And like you're saying, you're being able to sh- share your story and mm-hmm. get thoughtful feedback from people and validation has meant so much to you. So we wanted yeah. to create a space, a Patreon community where people could join and to, could share their stories in the way that you've shared yours. Yeah. And we could start to have a dialogue kind of within this little group of people. Yeah. So we can all help each other. Mm-hmm. It, it really, we've got some great feedback from people, some really great questions. And I mean, obviously, we can all learn from each other for sure. 
we're also going to be using the Patreon account to distribute the notes from the episodes. So you you make a lot of notes. You go mm-hmm. back into writing you've already done and you do a lot of prep. I don't make any notes. So these are going yeah. to be your notes. <laughs> and we're going to be sharing those notes over the Patreon platform as well. And some of those are a little more intimate. So again, you know, it feels appropriate to put them behind a little right. bit of a, of a wall. Yeah, there's a lot more detail in there um, that in some cases answer more completely and more directly some of the questions we've we've received right so there'll be show notes and then there'll be sometimes um further writings about particular times in your life and particular stories that you've perhaps mentioned over the in the podcast but not gone into in depth Mm -hmm. yeah and i know uh, people have expressed an interest in written material and and i totally understand that i personally love having written material too just to it's just really easy to reference and and just have right there and you can be sitting at your office or in your bed while someone's sleeping or something and just having written material is really helpful i think in addition to podcast and then we would like to um in the near future start having people as guests on the show to talk about their own making and remaking experience mm-hmm. of their codependent minds. And yeah. so the Patreon account is a place that we're hoping to maybe meet some of those people that would be willing to, to share their story publicly. So, you know, if you're interested, there's a link in the show notes. It's Patreon and you search a codependent mind. But let's transition to the main thing that we wanted to explore in this episode, which is really, we both mentioned how much we've learned individually and together over the podcast. And we just wanted to talk more about what are those big learning moments that we've had? What are those big topics that we've feel we've really learned a lot? Because I mean, I've learned a lot about every topic we've discussed for sure. But what are some of the overarching themes? Yeah, right. Well, because in the build up to it, right, all the the years of daily conversations and writings, there were always these pivotal moments, I feel like these kind of concepts or connections that you or I or both of us together made that just really shifted the direction of everything. Right. So learning about when we first learned about codependency mm-hmm. and then the cluster of behaviors that, that surrounded that phenomena and the narcissism. And so what's, what's, why don't you start? What's one of your big takeaways? One of mine is pretty much the impact I've found that my family has had on the origin of these behaviors. And the reason why I would say this one first is because right back to the very first episode, the first season, really, I really downplayed the effect of my family. We did we talked about this when when we did the episode, I guess, in season three, where we did an updated family of family origin, of origin mm-hmm. uh, episode. That was a huge realization for me that you know I had to just realize, uh, try to figure out the reasons, and and but ultimately, it kind of didn't matter what the reasons were. It was that I just yeah. I, I needed to be fully honest with myself and ultimately I feel like in the podcast or else I'm not being honest. I'm not being thorough and complete in this story. And it felt as though I needed to be completely honest and thorough for it to be truly helpful. That has been really interesting, the evolution of your thinking and our understanding of the role your, your family played, you know, particularly obviously your, your father and your mother that first episode and the con- our conversations for the year preceding were so focused on that relationship with G as mm-hmm. as the kickoff of everything. Yeah, the family kind of played a supposedly a, a minor role. Yeah, like a supportive role. Like they, I went home and the the behaviors that I was forming from G were just sort of reinforced by my family. But that even was somewhat new because that's well, true. Yeah, when you first started 
writing, I went back and looked at those first writings, your family was a safe haven. Yeah, and right. G was the one and the only problem of, of your childhood. And yeah. I remember when we first started talking about the G relationship in more depth, and I would say, where are your parents? This seems like a pretty massive failure. And you were still very defensive mm-hmm. about that topic and oh the, no they could have known there's, there's no way they could have known i didn't tell them oh most of the time we didn't right. g and i didn't hang out at my house things like that yeah i wasn't trying to blame them right it's just i'm a mother and you know if i found out that happened to my child i would be devastated and it, mm-hmm. i would i would rightfully i think consider that a failure that mm-hmm. I had failed yeah. my child. Not that I was a failure, right? Exactly. So I'm not trying, right? Yes. So we're not trying to shame or blame, you know, blame your, your family. We're right. just, they had a role yeah. to, in the, in your life and they, they, there were some failures for sure. I think that's the big mental shift that I had to make was, mm-hmm. was what you just said right there. It's fine to consider, to look at certain things and go, that was a failure without exploding that out into just, that that's them. They are failures. Right. They're you know, terrible people. It's not what it means right. at all. It's it's okay to have a variety of experiences with people. I think all of us are going to, no matter how, quote, perfect we might be, we're going to negatively affect somebody somehow. It's just, there's, it's inevitable. Um, and, and in some, some ways, some, some of those things are going to be failures. Yes. And that's going to be particularly true for those of us who are parents. Yeah. Because right. we have such a huge effect on our children. That what are could be in other relationships fairly minor mistakes can really cause some serious and long term damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I could hear it. I feel as though I was, like you said, definitely before we started the podcast completely. Yeah, I was sort of in this camp of yeah, my my family life was safe, my everyone was loving, mm-hmm. everything was great, you know. And some people take to the, that to the extreme. I know some people in particular that take this sort of like my childhood was great thing my brother being one of them <laughs> and we had the same parents and one another thing i left out was the fact that he was my older brother and i idolized him and and mimicked him for my first 10 years of my life and he had codependent behaviors too and i was i just was afraid to say that for some reason for a similar reason that i was afraid to say things about my parents and this, this is not no dig or knock on him or anything it's just it's codependent behaviors it's yeah, he also had to to navigate the same emotional world that you were trying to mm-hmm. navigate as a child that involved a lot of fear yeah. and instability coming from your dad and and then this pleasing behavior and this caretaking behavior that your mom did in response to that. Right. And so I think part of the reason one of the reasons why I hold back on these things and held back on on thinking about my brother or even discussing it in writing was just like, well, you know, he has his own experience. I don't want to speculate about what he's... And I still don't need to, necessarily. It's just that we were in the same atmosphere, and the fact that I see codependent behaviors from him, and I also developed very similar (laughs) codependent behaviors, people-pleasing, reflexive dishonesty, things like that. It's no wonder. So it's helpful for me to know that. And so kind of similarly, this has been one of my big takeaways... (laughs) is also understanding my family better, understanding my past relationships, understanding myself. So even though I didn't really have an environment that created these codependent behaviors in my childhood, 
there's certainly people in my family and extended family that, that display those behaviors and being able to think about where those came from and just about my own family systems. Again, my family of origin and the family I created and the, you know, the extended family. It's just been really interesting to me how much I have learned about all of that, even though the codependency and narcissism themes don't run as strong as mm-hmm. they do through your, mm-hmm. through your family story. And really that rolls up to the biggest takeaway for me, it's been, man, how much there is to learn <laughs> Exactly about right. oneself, about your, your relationships, relationships with the world. When we started this podcast, as you said, we had been having discussions for years, really. Mm-hmm. And we were, I think maybe we were a little bit, oh, we're kind of in maintenance mode. We've yeah, done all right. the heavy lifting, right? We figured out all the big pieces. In fact, we kind of joked a couple times, it's like we were in a show hole yeah, right. <laughs> Where they describe, you know, when you, when you binge through you know, a show mm-hmm. on Amazon and Netflix and, and then it ends, you know, like, oh, wh- wh- okay, what do, we, what do I do now? What do I right, watch? Now, now do we talk about? Yeah, so we were, yeah, okay, are we running out of things to talk about? <laughs> and this podcast is just reigniting those conversations because yeah. it's, no, there's, there's so many things I have yet to learn about you. There's so many things I've yet to learn about myself. There's mm-hmm. so many things we've yet to learn about the people around us. It's been a kind of revelation how rich a learning experience it has been yeah and it kind of a lot of times it takes on this philosophical avenue that is really satisfying it can meander away from stories that are about us specifically into just these kind of overarching conversations about things like abuse or Mm -hmm. what constitutes abuse and what are elements because that was also really helpful for me when thinking about my family is the difference between the way my dad's anger affected me versus the way jay's anger was you know this entitled narcissistic manipulative right manipulative versus just a guy that has trouble handling his emotions very it's a big difference even though i can have a similar effect yes absolutely i think so too and we yeah we've talked about that yeah so it makes me think of the quotation that everyone heard from socrates not that i know that much about socrates but the unexamined life is not worth living that quotation goes on to say, examining myself and others is the greatest good to man. And again, I don't know so much about Socrates. Yeah. <laughs> I know that there's the Socratic method, which is yeah. his method of teaching involved putting ideas in dialogue with each other and co- constantly questioning. And really, that's what we've been doing is putting ourselves in dialogue with each other and with the larger world. And I think it's often taken when he says an unexamined life is not worth living. That's a moral judgment. You know, people don't examine their lives or, or whatever, wasting their time or they're being ignorant or choosing ignorance. But there's also, which I don't know, may or may not be true. I'm not trying to make a moral judgment, but I will say that it has been such a pleasure and a joy to do that, mm-hmm. particularly with you, with, yeah. with another person. We get so much pleasure from these discussions. So the early discussions, even when they were hard, and some of them were so hard yeah. that first year, so hard. But even then, there was the pleasure of doing something really hard and emerging mm-hmm. from the other side. Yeah, that's the key. We did emerge mm-hmm. from the other. That was the goal. We would discuss that be part of the discussions is that we're trying to solve something here. Yeah, and, and yeah. the pleasure from solving that. And then so we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll sit down at the end of the day, maybe sit on the balcony and have a drink. And what can we talk about mm-hmm. in terms of what can we learn about each other? And what can we learn about ourselves? Yeah. It's so much joy and pleasure there. And it just makes me sad for your former self because the trauma 
and the abuse and the habits that you developed in response to those, one of the effects it has was, and we've talked about this, to separate you from yourself and to make it so you couldn't really know yourself because there were parts you could not look at and you couldn't really connect and know other people. There was always that fear and shame. So it's not just that the codependency habits and the trauma caused you pain in your life, which they did. It's also they deprived you of so much pleasure. Of connection, of intimacy. And this thing that we talked about where I just could feel it's what I wanted, but I didn't feel the power or the, or the entitlement to it. Mm-hmm. to intimacy i just i feared it and i and but i feared knowing myself so if i didn't i didn't know myself so there was no way to get started really with real intimacy with people that actually brings me to my second biggest takeaway or from the podcast and that's this concept of powerlessness it's not a word i used a whole lot before we started the podcast and it's really not even a word i used a whole lot in maybe the first few episodes of season one We talked a lot about lack of agency, which I I think is another way of saying powerlessness. Yeah, it's a good concept, but it doesn't go far enough because powerlessness is more of this core feature. It's almost like a, if you're thinking of emotions, it's it's like a core emotion and then you have other satellite emotions that kind of come off of them. So this lack of agency thing was, it was almost like I was starting with a sub topic of powerlessness Mm -hmm. rather than the main topic itself. The main feeling. Yes. was pervasive feeling of powerlessness. Which was basically at the core of every experience that I had that led to all of these behaviors. So all of the codependent behaviors, all of the emotional avoidance techniques that I had to come up with, and basically all of it started from powerlessness. And I think powerlessness is at the core of trauma because when there's abuse, especially as a child, this feeling of powerlessness is, it's a horrible feeling. It's terrifying. And it's part of the trauma. I mean, it really is kind of almost the source of the trauma because if I didn't feel powerless and I did something and got myself out of it and then wound up not getting traumatized by it, it's because I found some power. That was a major takeaway for me as well, this this connection between trauma and powerlessness. And people talk about it's not the trauma, it's the way that it's received or interpreted or put into place. And it does seem that what turns a traumatic event into a traumatizing event is that you carry that powerlessness forward. You're not just powerless during the event, whether it's physical, emotional, or psychological, that powerlessness gets imprinted in you and you can't get out of it. It basically became a habit for me right from the start. Well, you had a lot of messaging during your childhood that you were powerless. You didn't get a lot of messaging that you had power or protection, right? I've been reading a lot of a physician who's done work in trauma and addiction, Gabor Mate. One thing I like that he says is you don't need drama for trauma because I think a lot of people are looking, say, to their childhood where a traumatic event or events are going to have the most impact and saying, well, I didn't have anything like that. I didn't have a G relationship. Yeah, right. And maybe this was what you were falling, the trap you were falling into in terms of with G and your family. Yeah. It was much clearer with G, right? I mean, he beat you up. He humiliated you. He threatened you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was obvious. Whereas the trauma that was happening in your family home was not as clear. His point being that it doesn't have to be things that happened to you, for instance. It can be things that didn't happen, that you weren't cared for adequately, that your needs weren't met at critical Mm -hmm. times. And again, this doesn't have to be the fault of your parents or your caregivers even. It could be things like poverty or racism or the school system. I mean, there are lots of potential sources 
of trauma in our society. And they all seemed to come with these messages. You are powerless. Yeah. You were not important. Yeah. And there could be other buildup of small scale, a child trying to appeal for attention or mm -hmm. something from their parents and their parents not giving it to them consistently time and time again until it's like, okay, well, how do I get attention? I guess I have to just turn inward or whatever they decide they need to well, do. I have to do whatever these people want me to do. I have to yeah. figure out what other people want because that's the only way I'm going to get what I need. I, mm -hmm. I don't, and I'm never given the chance to develop my own sense of agency, as we say, or, or my own sense of personal power that I can get my needs met on my own, that I can have needs and I can get them met mm -hmm. on my own, that I, I can keep myself safe. And what's interesting too for me is, is thinking about trauma in that way and powerlessness in that way. You start to see the way that the codependent behaviors are tied in with all the other kind of disordered behaviors, mm -hmm. like narcissism. We talked about one episode, how they seem to have similar roots, dependent yeah. personality disorder. There's borderline personality disorder. I mean, all of these behaviors that don't serve us well as adults, mm -hmm. <laughs> classify them differently. They're different strategies, but they all seem to be trying to address the root problem mm -hmm. of this feeling of powerlessness. Without actually recognizing it, you know, without sitting there and looking at the source of the problem itself, trying to deal with, okay, I've learned these techniques to help myself cope with the fact that I already don't have power. So yeah, I because I look back through my whole life, and I never got to a point other than now, where I had any sort of permeated feeling of, of power, just like tiny little moments here and there. But yeah, nothing big picture, nothing that I could use to help myself. And again, paralysis is terrifying. <laughs> it's scary enough as an adult to experience it. To experience this as a child would be particularly terrifying because you haven't developed any of the effective strategies to deal with it. And it's also, unfortunately, seems to bring about a lot of shame. Yes, exactly. Shame. When I was trying to think of three big takeaways, shame is definitely one of the biggest revelations that I've had during the this podcast pro process that just wasn't there. I just I was not thinking about that term at all before we started this podcast. And it kind of blows me away because it has come to become one of the most important aspects of how I understand why I was carrying all these things, why I was avoiding my emotions, why I felt responsible for other people's emotions, why I felt like crap all the time. I wonder if it was because it was so pervasive in your life that it was just always an undercurrent because it was just always there. You didn't notice that you didn't, you weren't able to call it out. Yeah. How do I know any different? But also, but not just that, it, it just, it was so dangerous for me to feel. Well, I thought it was anyway. It was so painful for me anytime I came too close to directly feeling shame that I developed a whole bunch of techniques to try to avoid it, including lying to people, lying to myself. It was dangerous because yeah. the, Times you have felt suicidal in your life have been times when you felt overwhelmed with shame. Yes, right. Either coming from someone else, being shamed. And it was an overwhelming feeling that I just felt on my own, a culmination of thoughts. This feeling of worthlessness and helplessness and... Hopelessness, more, hopelessness. more than helplessness even. I mean, that's kind of like when it tips the scales from helpless to hopeless. But also I found, and we've now just talked about powerlessness really i feel like those two things went hand in hand it was like it was powerlessness and shame keeping me stuck in this and then all these offshoots like depression and things like that were just the results they were the so natural i'm just going for the okay depression people talk about that that's a thing people get depression therefore i need to be trying to figure out how to fix that rather than knowing anything about 
why for me it, it yeah completely not helpful to think of it as some kind of chemical physical thing that i needed to try to address although it was chemically and physically expressed yes exactly yeah there were things going on chemically and, and physiologically and biologically yeah. in your body it's a whole system yeah. yeah i mean people get physical illnesses from mental Distress. states yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. and that we, we feel it all the time in, in the most obvious ways getting like a stomach ache when we're nervous or something like that yeah it's just that that connection but yeah not understanding the root and shame if I just went straight to the term shame without any of the things we learned, obviously, it wouldn't have been all that helpful. It would have been like, okay, well, what do I do with that? Yeah, yes, yeah. so we used the word shame before we really understood. I yeah. mean, we understood that it was a thing in the world and that mm-hmm. you probably felt it. But not understanding, again, how pervasive it was in your life and yeah. how dangerous it was for you and how habitual it was for you as yeah. well. Yeah, so when I think about pretty much all, when we talked about in the last episode on trust and when I was being reflexively dishonest, it was pretty much always to avoid feelings of shame. And this was this automatic feeling. So something would happen, shame would be triggered. And actually, this reminds me, uh, in season one, trauma episode, we talk about triggers, and I got it wrong. So I had an earlier explanation of thinking one of my trauma triggers was inadequacy, feelings of inadequacy. At this point, I wouldn't even use that word at all. It wasn't descriptive enough. It, it fell way short. I mean, I kind of get why I got to this because I was trying to think, what was I feeling when R was belittling me and stuff like that? Right. I was feeling inadequate. And then so once I was safe and, and no longer in the R relationship, if I felt inadequate in any way, it was a trigger for me. First of all, that's actually not what I was feeling when I was with R. It was I was being shamed because I don't have a problem with being inadequate. I mean, I'm not great at a lot of things. I, right. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I'm not good at playing games and things, board games. And no, things you're like. pretty good. Yes, right. I mean, but <laughs> you know, there's plenty of examples throughout my whole life, even back when I was right. riddled with shame, where I, no, I'm okay not being right. good at this or that. And mm-hmm. it, so inadequacy was, that was just, that was a red herring kind of, it just wasn't a, correct. So really it was shame that I was feeling. And this person R was very good at shaming me and, and making me take that on. And yeah, really infecting my whole family with it. It wasn't just me. She went after my entire family. Yeah, that was a major weapon, using shame against people. For me too, I learned a lot about shame and the way it shapes our behaviors. I mean, I understood it as a painful emotion. I've experienced it as a painful emotion. So I can certainly appreciate what that must be like to have to deal with it all the time. It's just such a heavy load. It's, it's like you're walking around with this open wound to mm-hmm. the world. And what's even more difficult is because you have had to disconnect yourself from your feelings and from your, your bodily reality, you're walking around with this open wound, not even knowing yep. <laughs> that it's an open wound, just exposing yourself over and over again to further trauma and, and not never allowing it to heal. One thing I have kind of been thinking about is this connection between powerlessness and shame. And you can kind of maybe see that in how you dealt with your family's role in your trauma, where you really wanted to put it all on G. And I've read about this phenomenon is kind of like the trauma bond. But when you're a child, and you're so dependent on your parents, they are all your caregivers, they are all powerful. And so if they do things like your dad did, which suggests that they're not going to take care of you, in fact, they may be a threat to you, you can do one of two things. You can decide, well, oh, I'm just going to take care of myself. They're a bad parent, a bad caregiver. I'm going to go off and take care of myself. Well, that's not really an 
option <laughs> when you're like two or three or four or five, right? Uh, yeah. So the other thing is to think, oh, they're they're powerful. They must know what's what's going on. I must be doing something wrong. There must yeah. be something wrong with me that I'm not being cared for adequately or that I'm being treated in this way. Mm-hmm. So I need to correct myself. And when I fail to do that because they st- still don't give me what I need or still treat me in a way that that is is difficult, then I feel shame. I feel shame because I can't be a type of person that people treat with love and respect or care. Yeah. I failed. I failed. Which is exactly what I was doing. I was constantly trying to figure out what was I doing wrong whenever somebody was behaving or acting a certain way or displaying a certain emotion. What was I doing wrong? Because I'm, I must have caused it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you had that still lingering with your parents, yeah. right? You didn't want to assign any responsibility. I mean, putting aside the issue of blame, there's responsibility that you didn't want to assign any responsibility to them. You wanted to keep it with yourself, maybe with, with G. And you use that strategy too with R and J. And you even felt when we were beginning the podcast, some of that fear was, oh, I'm saying things about them, but they have things they could say about me that would justify their treatment of me. Right, right, right. You still thought that there was a world out there in which R and J's abuse of you could be justified by the type of person that you were. Yeah, I didn't need to be doing that, obviously. No. <laughs> like it's, it's because I... With my parents, I'm sure they can say all kinds of things that I did that was crappy. And difficult. Fine. Yeah, you were a child. But that doesn't take away the effects that things had on me. And that's that, what I'm focused on. That doesn't take away the responsibility they have for their own behavior. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't always have to be a tit for a tat. Mm-hmm. And, but especially when it's keeping me from being honest, just because I'm afraid of that. I mentioned uh, maybe I was kind of afraid somehow that RJ will find that it's, and, then, and then retaliate somehow with information about me, whatever. But there was also just this kind of universe, the universe. Am I being fair here? Right, because you were holding on to some of that shame. You were holding on to that piece of yourself to say, like, mm, maybe there was a part of me that deserved this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, maybe I was a total loser or I was whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But once again, no excuse. That's not an excuse for abuse. <laughs> it just isn't. Right. And it's not a reason to be in a relationship and stay in a relationship either. Oh, it may be me. Therefore, I need to keep trying to figure out, keep going down this codependent road and trying to figure out how I can fix this because it must be my fault. So those are some of our major takeaways, <laughs> but it's been so many again, yeah. which is to go back to, that's why part of the reason we started this Patreon account so that we could kind of collect people who are interested as we are in, in continuing to engage in these types of conversations. And then hopefully, as we mentioned in the future, we'll be able to explore some of these topics through the lens of other people's stories as mm-hmm. well. There's going to be so much variety out there. I, I, I really look forward to hearing some. Hopefully, hopefully we get Me to Me too. That. It's just so interesting how there are obviously these huge commonalities mm-hmm. and major threads, right? Which is, is why codependency, we have found, is a helpful term because yeah. it does describe a collection of behaviors that tend to coexist in similar bodies and emerge from similar experiences. But w- within those commonalities, such interesting and compelling differences that really have, I think, allowed us to, to, as we've said, learn more about ourselves and each other. Mm -hmm. So we hope that continues. And we hope that you continue to join us for those discussions. And a huge heartfelt thank you to everyone who has joined us along this way and listened and commented. And it's just been such an amazing experience so far. It has. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.